0: Welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm your host, Negar Murtazavi, in Washington, D.C. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to ask you to consider supporting the Iran Podcast. If you like our work and want us to be able to continue this work and be editorially independent, please consider a monthly donation to the Iran Podcast. You can go to our website, anchor.fm/slash the Iran Podcast. And click on support. Again, the address is anchor.fm slash the Iran podcast. Now, in this episode, I'll talk about the latest developments in the Iran nuclear negotiations happening in Vienna. The seventh round of talks has just concluded in the Austrian capital, and we're hearing both positive and negative news from the negotiating table. On December 15th, I joined Democracy Now! Television with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez to talk about the latest developments in the Vienna talks. And on December 19th, I joined the National Public Radio NPR weekend edition with Scott Detrow. And we talked about the potential of the revival of the JCPOA. Here's my interview with Democracy Now! speaking with Amy Goodman and Juan González.
1: This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman with Juan González. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Tuesday the Biden administration is preparing alternatives in case the U.S. fails in its efforts to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal that Trump withdrew the U.S. from. Indirect negotiations between the United States and Iran are underway in Vienna after a five-month break in efforts to revise the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. On Tuesday, the chief of Iran's a civilian program, insisted Iran will refuse to allow U.N. inspectors to access a sensitive centrifuge assembly plant. Last week, CIA Director William Burns said he's concerned about Iran's nuclear program during an interview with The Wall Street Journal. The results of the new round of nuclear negotiations, you know, with the so-called P5 plus one, the international partners, um, and the Iranians, um, you know, the Iranians are not taking the negotiations seriously at this point. It was a pretty discouraging result then. You have the reality of, of, you know, the Iranians essentially dragging their feet on the nuclear negotiations, and at the same time, as you pointed out, Jerry, making steady advances uh, in their nuclear program particularly enrichment to 60 percent now as well. In recent days, Israeli officials have been urging the United States to take military action against Iran, suggesting the U.S. should either directly strike Iran or attack an Iranian base in Yemen. Israel insists that, regardless of the outcome of the nuclear talks in Vienna, it reserves the right to attack Iran. Well, for more, we're joining Washington, D.C., by Nagar Murtazavi, um, Iranian-American journalist, political analyst, host of the Iran podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Us, Negar. Um, if you can talk I, about yeah. the significance of what's happening in Vienna right now, and what are the so-called alternatives to the Iran nuclear deal that Trump pulled the U.S. out of?
0: Sure, Amy. So, as your audience may know, there are nuclear negotiations ongoing in Vienna. It's been the site of— um, this gathering of not just Iran and the United States, but really the world powers, all of the other parties to the nuclear deal. We Sometimes we tend to forget that the nuclear deal was not just between Iran and the United States. There were other parties involved, European powers, uh, Russia and China. The seventh round of uh, negotiations—can um, you hear me? We hear you fine. Okay, great. The seventh round of negotiations is, which has happened, is essentially the first round of negotiations with Iran's new administration. There has been a change of presidency in Iran in June, and the new hardline team has been coming into the negotiating table um, with more demands than the previous um, uh, administration. And this really goes back to what uh, myself and some other Iran watchers have been warning, that. President Biden, when he first started his administration, had a window of opportunity, really a golden window of opportunity with Iran's previous administration, the moderate administration, um, who was involved in the negotiations initially and the making of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal uh, agreement, to go back to the JCPOA and do these negotiations while the moderates were still in power in Tehran. Um, That window uh, closed in June, Iran had a presidential election, now a new team is in. They started in August, and they obviously—they're the hardliners in Iran's political faction. They've always been very skeptical of the West, of the U.S., of the nuclear negotiations, of the JCPOA. They were vocal critics of the JCPOA. So this team is going to do things differently, and I think that's what the Biden administration is also starting to realize, that things are going to be more complicated and difficult with the hardliners in Iran. I don't think we're at the end of the road yet or at a point of no return. I still think, even with the hardline team, um, that Iran wants a nuclear deal, wants this nuclear deal or a deal with the United States. They want sanctions relief from the U.S. in exchange for them scaling back part of their nuclear program. Um, But I think the negotiations ahead are going to be difficult, and if they fail, if diplomacy fails, then— Um, The absence of diplomacy means more escalation, potentially in the form of sabotage attacks and military escalations, which won't just be bound to Iran. It will be uh, spread across the region and can easily get out of hand.
2: And, Nagar, can you talk about the role of one nation that is not a party to the negotiations but has major influence? Uh, Israel. Uh, Israel's uh, defense minister and Mossad chief are in Washington this week uh, meeting with senior members of the Biden administration. And, of course, Israel has been involved in repeated attempts at assassinations or actual assassinations of scientists Uh, uh, in the nuclear program in Iran, as well as sabotage of Iran's nuclear energy program. What is Israel trying to do with the Biden administration right now, from what you can tell?
0: That's a great question. You know, actually, Iran's nuclear program, it's not a nuclear weapons program to this point. But if um, Iran—the reason Iran is seen as a threat is because it can be a potential um, threat to U.S. allies in the region. Iran is not a threat— to U.S. soil. So, as you as you are saying, Israel and other U.S. partners in the region are very key um, elements in all of these um, sort of perceptions of threat and also the uh, negotiations and U.S. Uh, sort of posturing towards Iran. We know that the previous Israeli government, Bibi Netanyahu, was very much opposed to the JCPOA. He fought against the negotiations and the deal when President Obama was doing diplomacy with Iran, but he didn't succeed. Then later he succeeded in really pushing President Trump to pull out of the JCPOA. And now, interestingly, we're hearing from former Israeli officials, some from uh, Bibi Netanyahu's own uh, previous government that this was actually a mistake that Israel opposing the JcPOA and eventually pushing President Trump to pull out of the deal was a mistake that was a good deal because Iran had essentially agreed to put limit on its nuclear program. and now that those limits are gone and Iran is expanding the program, is really escalating uh, the situation. Uh, there's no better deal to replace it. And as you mentioned, Um, And, Amy, there are talks of Israeli officials now really trying to push the United States uh, to take military action against Iran or potentially target Iranian nuclear sites or Iranian um, interests across the region. I'm not sure how much of an appetite there is um, in the White House for that form of direct military attack on Iran by the United States. And I'm not so confident that Israel, on its own, would carry out an attack like that without U.S. green light. Now, the situation can always change. And I said you can stumble into a conflict and it can escalate and get out of hand in this volatile region that is the Middle East. But uh, so far, I'm not sure if the Israelis have succeeded in sort of convincing the United States, because this is something they've always wanted, um, as well as U.S. partners in the Persian Gulf, Arab countries in the Persian Gulf, too. Um, not themselves, take military action against Iran, but sort of push the United States to do it for them. And they haven't succeeded under President uh, Obama, President Trump, and so far um, I I haven't seen um, that really succeeding with the Biden administration. I think they're still trying to give diplomacy a chance, although I think uh, the U.S. side has to make more serious compromises to meet Iran halfway.
1: We want to thank you, Negar Martazavi, for joining us, Iranian-American journalist, political analyst. She's host, political analyst. She's host of the Iran podcast. And of course, we'll continue to cover this issue.
0: That was my interview on Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez. Now you'll hear my conversation with Scott Detrow on NPR's Weekend Edition on December 19th.
2: Another round of meetings to revive the Iran nuclear deal just wrapped up, and frustration seemed to be the underlying sentiment. European officials in the talks have said that Iran is wasting, quote, precious time warning that the 2015 pact, known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, could turn into an empty shell. As a reminder, this was a deal where Iran would limit its nuclear program and open it up to inspections, and the U.S. and other countries would, in return, ease sanctions. The U.S. walked away in 2018 under then-President Trump. Iran responded by ramping up its nuclear program again. There have been attempts this year to put the talks back together, but they seem stalled, and now the U.S. says it's thinking about, quote, alternatives if a deal isn't reached. Journalist and political analyst Negar Mortazavi is joining us now to put this all into perspective. Welcome.
0: Good morning, Scott.
2: How would you characterize the meetings and talks so far?
0: So we're actually hearing some positive developments Um, on Friday. The European representative, Enrique Mora, had some upbeat commentary. He mentioned that they're having a positive working relationship with their Iranian partners. And he surprisingly also said that 80 percent of the draft text of the agreement to revive the JCPOA has been agreed upon.
2: The U.S., has made it clear repeatedly the biden administration has made it clear this year that it wants to see iran take the first steps to 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 scale back the uh the, the nuclear program that has been ramped up again in recent years among other things what does iran want from the us and is iran looking for the us to take any first steps because you know as another reminder it gets lost in the conversation sometimes stateside the us was the country that first left this deal
0: since 2018, from the Iranian viewpoint, the U.S. is in complete violation of the deal. The Iranian waited for about a year. They continue to comply. And then they started reducing their compliance, meaning expanding their nuclear program, but making sure that first, they stay inside the deal, which they still are. They never announced that they're leaving. And second, they have designed the expansion as steps that are completely reversible. So they're increasing, uh, they're escalating basically their program as a way to gain less leverage at the negotiating table to show the U.S. that, look, we want this deal, but we also have our own way of creating leverage against you.
2: Right. And in recent weeks, the talk from the administration was these so-called alternatives that are being developed if talks don't resume, if progress isn't made. How are you and other observers reading this euphemistic phrasing of alternatives?
0: I think it's a combination of sanctions and also the threat of military escalation, which is putting the Biden administration in a weird position because everyone knows and they've publicly declared that they don't want a war with Iran. But then at the same time, if you want to project that you have the capability and the intent to do necessary military escalation, that puts you in a weird position against your own base in the country and then also against the I think what we've seen over the Trump years is that maximum pressure and crippling sanctions didn't really bring any policy change in Iran. It inflicted pain on the Iranian public. The Iranian economy was very hard hit especially during the pandemic, but it didn't bring any policy change in Iran's um, basically political direction. So more sanctions and this threat of military escalation is not really the ideal path forward. And we've also heard that from candidate Biden before he became president. So I'm just hoping that diplomacy one way or another will succeed and we won't have to be talking about the details of this plan B.
2: What are the things that you'll be looking for over the coming days and weeks? Uh, As much as they may leak out of the, the negotiation rooms to the outside, what are the key indicators that you'll be keeping an eye out for to give a sense of what direction these talks are moving in?
0: Well, I think the Iranian side, because they're hardliners of the Iranian political system, want to project that they're not agreeing to what the previous team was going to agree to and sort of want to look tougher to their own domestic base, but at the same time not escalate so much to completely lose a chance for a deal. The European Union right now is seen as more of an objective Um, you know, neutral party who's coordinating, who has supported uh, these talks and is bringing everyone together. So I would be watching the mouth of Enrique Mora, the European Union representative, and I'm hoping to hear more positive news um, coming from him, which we did hear some on Friday. And I guess at the end of the day, if both sides want an agreement, If they want to revive diplomacy, they just have to make enough compromise to be able to meet somewhere halfway.
2: All right. Negar Murtaz host of the Iran podcast. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Scott. My pleasure. Now let's hear a message from one of the listeners and supporters of the Iran podcast.
2: My name is Justice Arman. I'm an Iranian-American game designer living in Texas. I listen to the Iran podcast not only to stay informed on current events surrounding Iran, but also because it helps me to become a better advocate for Iranian culture here in the United States. Nagar and her guests offer important perspectives on facets of Iran, often overlooked by Western media, providing a more honest, well-rounded picture when it comes to topics like foreign policy, sanctions, human rights, and everyday life for Iranians, whether in Iran or as part of the diaspora. She's an excellent host, and I look forward to each and every episode.
0: Thank you for supporting our work, Justice. That was a message from one of the listeners and supporters of the Iran podcast. You can also send us an audio message with your name, your location, and why you like to listen to the Iran podcast. You can go on anchor.fm slash the Iran podcast and record a voice message for us directly on the app and we'll feature you in one of our future episodes. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Twitter at Iran Podcast. You can also support our work by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran Podcast. Until next time, goodbye and khuda hafiz.